I just, I just love traveling from here. Teresa and I were down in Milton Keynes last weekend, and we have a small team this weekend down in Leamington Spa. So the Midlands are getting blasted by glory from Hope Church this last couple of weeks. So Aline's got a small team down there, and I'm just hearing that already people have got healed and two people have been saved. Um, we, we, uh, yeah, come on. This, that's good to rejoice in. There's so much good news. You know, I think that's one reason why we'll be celebrating all the time in heaven. It's just full of the goodness of God. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. Wow, that's amazing. Forever. We're just getting, this is free samples, just getting us used to. Wow, I've got some more amazing stuff. Are you ready for some more? Wow, I didn't know it was that good. I think he's just stretching the envelope of our expectation and how good do you know, we all know God is good, but then somewhere inside, we have a box inside which he's this good. And then occasionally he does stuff and goes, wow, I didn't know it was that good. Well, that's going to just keep happening to us forever, because he's much gooder than we know. And, and his goodness manifests in doing good things, all right? It's not just a theological concept. God is good, but life is crap. No, God is good, and he does good stuff. There's a connection between what we experience of him and who he is in his character. Otherwise, he has no integrity. Yeah, so if I believe something and I don't, but I don't live in the line with what I believe, I like, you see what I mean? Just, just have a think about that. So anyway, last weekend we went down to, um, to Milton Keynes and I got... Uh, 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 this, I got a few testimonies back already. This one, I really like this one, so I'm going to read it to you. Um, we did a, we did a fire tunnel like we do, and uh, as I came to Andy in the fire, fire tunnel, be healed in Jesus' name. He took he took my hand and said, "Leadership anointing, healing anointing, signs and wonders anointing." I remember saying to myself, "I'll have that." At which point, I felt myself fly backwards some distance in the power of the Holy Spirit. I felt like these things were being imparted to me, but it was also rather overwhelming. I remember lying on the floor, shaking quite violently. I felt waves of electricity pulse through my arms and then my body. There were moments when I felt fire, that felt fire flood through my whole body. I remember crying out to God, as I have done before, Let me burn! I then felt overwhelmed by what Jesus had done for me and also felt a huge compassion fill me for those who didn't know him yet, greater than I'd ever felt before. At one point, I found myself flying over some familiar high rocks in northern Uganda. I'm not sure if God was just reminding me Africa is still in our future at some point. Then I felt like I was in labor. I had strong contractions through my abdomen, like I was giving birth to something. Uh, I also remember... Andy, she had a vision then about something. And I also remember Andy coming back to me and saying that I would have heavenly visions where I would be looking down from heaven on what is happening below. I could hear people talking around me but was totally unable to move or stand up. The presence of God was so heavy on me. My legs were unable to move and I felt like I had lead weights in them. After about an hour, eventually Steve, which was her husband, managed together with someone else to virtually carry me to the car and then to our house. All through the night, I was encountering more of the Holy Spirit. I know something really significant happened to me. <laughs> okay, you're not excited about that? I'll read some more. Isn't that amazing? 
it's amazing. I remember seeing her, I thought, you could just see, it looks literally like she was on fire, just lying out on, on, the, on the floor. And lots of people had, had encounters. This is, this is how God works. He uses our brain, but he, he needs to, because he's bigger than our brain, he needs to connect to us in our spirit man to expand our understanding and then our head catches up to it. If you limit him to what you can understand, he'll only be as big as your head. And I don't know how intelligent you are, but that's still not big enough for me. You are not my God. <laughs> He's amazing. And then, and then they, just, they just posted on their... Um, I think this was a tweet. Thanks. There you go. I'm trying to be trendy and with it, guys. This was tweeted. Okay. I'm feeling good about this already. So the, the conference we did for them was called the Embrace Conference. <clears throat> so this was their, their, their tweet. There were lots of, of and that then got posted on the website, there were lots of healings at the Embrace Conference this weekend. Hearing restored, back pain gone, mobility restored. Plus we heard today of someone who scanned showing a reduction in a cancer-affected area. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> cancer is getting kicked out in the name of Jesus. So I want to keep on top of that one. But it was so, so fun just seeing people with very long-term hearing loss. Just boom. We had three people ears popping open. Uh, there was a young woman with a mi- kind of an undiagnosed, a mystery thing. She suffered from hyperextension something or other, where you, know, you can sort of move your, your joints more than you should. But she came in, she was shuffling around, she couldn't do stairs well, couldn't bend. Actually, while I was preaching, she was just blasted by God on the floor, got up and ran up and down steps and bent and was free and was just wonderful to see. One of my favorites was on the Sunday morning. I can't confirm this or it was a, a thorough healing, but I prayed for a really old guy with a stick who was suffering Parkinson's and it was affecting his legs. And as I prayed for him, he felt stronger. So he set off, and it was quite a big auditorium, he set off without his stick with another guy and walked all the way around the auditorium unaided. So I was like, yeah, this is really exciting, isn't it? Really, really exciting. Um, and and lot, lots of other stories, but isn't that fun what God's doing? He's healing cancer, he's healing blood diseases, he's healing ears and eyes, stuff that we think is impossible, but that's because he does the impossible. He's not limited by what we think is, is possible. So I just wanted to share that with you. It's a real thrill and a privilege just to be able to go and do that. And Teresa's actually just visiting her dad this weekend. So that's why he's very ill. So that's why she's not here. Okay, Galatians. When it's fun, you can come back. All right, Galatians. I bought my old Bible here. So hold on a second because it needs tender loving care. Otherwise it falls to bits. So Galatians chapter 2, get it on your device or old school. Here we go. Ha. 
verse 1, 14 years later. So if you're in last time, you'll know where we're up to. If you weren't, you can download it. I haven't got time to review what we did last time and then do what we're going to do this morning. 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to Revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and make us slaves. (laughs) We did not give in to them for a moment, I love Paul, so the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. That's how I'm hearing him say it anyway. Whatever they were makes no difference to me. Um, God does not judge by external appearances. Those men added nothing to my message. So last time, really, we talked a lot about how Paul was saying he was authorized by God. And what he, although he had a huge amount of intellectual learning as a Pharisee, it, it basically it all got ditched and everything he had, he had because of a revelation. All right? He didn't learn it in a school or a Bible college. He had, he had encounters. He had some sort of revelatory experiences in which God imparted to him the gospel. Amazing. And now here he's saying, he went to Jerusalem and James and John and all these guys and they added nothing to what he'd already seen by direct contact with heaven. On the contrary, he says, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter, an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, and Barnabas, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, and they recognized when they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that they should go to the that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we'd we'd continue to remember the poor, which we were really eager to do. I'm going to read a bit more, but I'm going to say a few things and then we'll we'll do a bit. Galatians is really all about the grace of God, and. And, and really, that's at the heart of this revelation that Paul is carrying about what this is. And what, what you start to realize in grace is that there are many things that we can never attain, but we can enjoy because it's been given to us. Many things that we can never attain in our own efforts, our own planning, our own diligence, but it's been given to us. That's grace. And that's all through this letter. Stuff like righteousness, miracles, the Spirit. Stuff we can never get by human effort are given for free. A free gift. Isn't that exciting? That's grace. And Paul's also saying there was a grace given. So grace has like two sides to it, if you like. One is it's, it's all the riches that God has done for us freely. And then there's grace is an empowering to do what he's called you to do. So we've just read how they recognize the grace on him to do this to the Gentiles. So what you get to do in life is by grace. You've got to find where your grace is, where your favor is. 
And what favor does on your life is open doors you could never open if it was down to your own resources, intelligence, wit, cunning, deceit, whatever. All right, favor is the undeserved, outrageous opening of doors. And what's happening here is they're recognizing the favor on his life. And, and, and what we need to realize that anything that brings into the gospel human effort extracts grace from it. So when we try through our efforts to gain what we already have by grace, we put ourselves under the power of the law. And this is, that's the theme of this book. Some people have been coming along and saying, well, you're all believers now. What you need to do is these rules, these Old Testament rules, particularly in this case, circumcision but there's a whole other stuff in this as well and later in the book we'll get to says now you've abandoned that you're now leaning into human effort so anything to do with rules and human effort isn't of grace i'm not saying there's no effort involved but it's inspired by motivated by the favor of god the grace of god okay just just nod at me So I just want to talk about these, this leadership interaction here. So Paul, uh, in response to a, rev- again, a, a, a revelation, this man is completely connected to heavenly revelations. All right? He doesn't, go, he doesn't go there because it was in his strategic plan. He has some sort of encounter that reveals to him, or he gets a prophetic word, we've got to go to Jerusalem and hang out with these guys. So off they go. And, and, and I love the interaction that they have because he's not getting involved in, in, in politics here. He's not looking to, to join their gang or get their approval in one sense. But what's happening is there's a mutual recognition of the grace that both all these leaders carry. There's honor happening. There's, I see that this is on you and we honor you in what you're doing. We, we give our right hand of fellowship was a quaint phrase isn't it but we it's like we're affirming it we're supporting it we're cheering you on and and you're seeing what we have grace to do and you're cheering that on and i think healthy relationships do rest on this ability to mutually honor the grace on each other so it's not a one-way street it's not oh mighty ones in jerusalem where the gospel first was released and some of you even walk with jesus you know, these guys were still alive. They'd been around. And Paul was not into this sort of a false honor. Do you see what I mean? He wasn't just sort of bowing and scraping. But what he was doing was recognizing the grace on them. And they were recognizing the grace on him. And that was produced a healthy connection. And not a political one or a, 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 a kind of false. Yeah? You know, Christianity isn't about having pop star famous heroes. You know, so James and John, they would have been, these guys were, and Peter, they, these were the, the most famous Christians alive at that point. Do, do, do you know, 
They'd done amazing stuff. They saw the resurrected Christ, all that kind of thing. But Paul isn't getting into, oh, wow, just hung out with these guys. He wasn't into the celebrity Christian thing. And I really think we need to guard our hearts. And I've been in situations and in meetings where certain people have, you know, famous Christians have showed up. And it's as if half the room have kissed their brains goodbye. And celebrity fan club is not the same as authentic honor. Yeah? Uh, and it leads to a, 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 a lot of behavior that just really isn't, it's just, it's just not the grace of God. It leads to people pushing away to the front and disregarding helpful instructions and all this kind of thing. No, this isn't honor. This is celebrity worship. This is not what we need. But to honor someone is to celebrate what they, what they are because you've recognized who they are. And that means you can receive from what they carry. Yeah? And I just felt God's put this in my heart this week. It's really important that we learn to recognize the anointing. So directly that we understand the Holy Spirit in order for us to recognize the anointed. So uh, th- there, is, there is a bunch of us that have struggled over the years just to even recognize what is the presence of God, what is the anointing, what does that taste and feel like? Because th- the trouble we have with the Holy Spirit when He comes is when He comes, He comes all sorts of different ways, and the externals can differ, yeah? So the things that are easy for us to measure, the things we can see and hear, can, can, you know, there are times where there's deep stillness and it's Holy Spirit. There are times where people are roaring and groaning and falling over, and it's Holy Spirit. And they had that in Acts. You know, the first time the Holy Spirit shows up, there's fire, there's a sound of a rushing wind, there's speaking in tongues. The next time it shakes the building, there's not like one way. But they were able to detect Holy Spirit. And I think that, that growth, that ability to detect Holy Spirit, detect the authentic presence of God, then helps you to honor people who are anointed by the Spirit for certain things. All right? So if you can't detect Him generally, it's tough to honor Him, how He's working in an individual. And they actually go together. Because what we're looking for is to honor and receive what's the Holy Spirit doing in you and through you and, and see the flame of that fanned higher and higher. Yeah? This, this is about knowing one another after the Spirit. It's becoming a spiritual people, not a people who just measure externals. You know, how many things have you done? How, what, what's your score? No, it's detecting what's the Holy Spirit. It, it was fun down in, um, down in Milton Keynes. The, their band was doing a really good job. And then I think and, and there was this one lass, a singer, who'd been there all day Saturday at the conference and, and just kind of backing singer. And then they kind of let her loose on us on a Sunday morning and she started to sing. And Teresa and I turned to one and I thought, wow, she's packing something realistic. You could just feel the Holy Spirit happening in the room as she sang. Because we're training ourselves to detect the Holy Spirit. That was her grace. That was her anointing. We went over and encouraged her. and She just needed encouragement because she was perhaps a bit nervous or whatever. But you could just tell, actually, she's gifted like that. 
When you happen and God happens at the same time, that's a sign that's where your grace is. Yeah? And that's what we're all about. We're trying to find out what we are. I'm loving finding out that when Teresa and I go places, Spirit of God falls on people, people get healed. That's happening all the time. I feel very happy about that. I feel it's part of my grace. It's part of our grace together. It's part of what we do. So it's fun, isn't it? Got a good history now of rocking up places. God falls on people and people get healed. Okay. And it's grace. I can't make any of that happen. Stuff that I could not achieve is happening because it's the grace of my life. And everybody has one, has some. All of you have some. And honor is when we recognize it on one another and we kind of call it out and we shake hands or whatever we do, hug, <laughs> bless, affirm, add our strength to one another. Yeah? Just just shake hands with somebody. Tell them they're looking good today. <laughs> I'm serious. Go on. Give them a hug. You're looking amazing. Okay, we're going to read a little bit more of Galatians. Verse 11. So remember that he's, he's, they've had this chat, they've blessed one another, and then Peter comes to Antioch where Paul is later on. Verse 11. And, and all this friendly, handshaking, honoring, now you've got... Uh, he comes to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed Peter to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. And you're like, ouch. This was really friendly till now. And this is in the Bible. What's going on? Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. So what you've got to imagine is Gentiles would eat, would eat blood and they would eat pork. All right? So this is the equivalent of until certain people show up, Peter's happy eating a full Scottish with his stolen away black pudding with anybody or anybody who would show up. These guys show up and he's gone, he's only eating kosher breakfast. I don't know what that looks like, but it doesn't have black pudding or any pork involved, okay? That's what's going on here. When they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. This is strange, the fear that's coming in here to Peter. You know, the guy who preached Acts 2, 3,000 saved. His shadow fell on people and they just get up and healed. The other Jews joined him in in, in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, who was, who was Paul's uh, mate, really, was led astray. When I saw that we were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Hmm. What's going on here? Is Paul being nasty? You know, we suddenly got a punch-up in the church. What? 
I think you've got to understand how ferociously Paul is seeking to protect the environment and the culture of the gospel. How, how important freedom has become to this man who was once steeped in law. Now, he's already talked about those who came to spy on their freedom so as to enslave them again. And that comes up over and over through this letter. He's, he's not just f- saying to Peter, look, I've got a problem with you. He's protecting their culture, which is suddenly getting contaminated by this sort of double-mindedness where they're withdrawing because they're getting into fear because people are coming to enforce the rules. Are you following? And it's funny how incredibly bold people can get into fear when someone shows up to enforce the rules. You know, just this, this behavioral change has happened. And Paul is recognizing the danger of releasing this legalism into this free environment, which was Antioch, and actually changing the whole culture of the Christianity that they're enjoying. Paul's protecting his culture. He's protecting the gospel. He's protecting a reality so that thousands and thousands of people can continue to enjoy freedom and not fall into legalism, which leads to hypocrisy and control. So he is protecting his environment by confronting. And that's what happens in a culture of honor. It's not all, I just love what's on you, I love what's on you. You you stop eating bacon in our environment, we're going to tell you. Start con- you start condemning us black pudding noshers, and we, we're going to have a few words. And it started to hit me how damaging what's coming in here is fear and politics and maneuvering because of who showed up. And I'm like, Paul just doesn't like that. We don't like that. It's not Holy Spirit. It's not freedom. It's not relational. And And Jesus... This, is, this thought has been in my head for a while, and I think I can say it now. Because um, it's just sort of landed. I thought, Jesus, there's a few things going on. Jesus never drew back from his associations because of how they might look to others. So like his, there's, there's actually a separation going on here. Well, if I eat with them, I'm going to look like I agree with them, so I'm going to separate from them. Jesus, Jesus was known as a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yeah? And that, that wasn't praise in those days. That, he was being slighted. He had no fear of contamination and he didn't have fear of what people thought of him because he knew who he was and I believe that's a freedom that we are to enjoy that we have no fear of who we associate with because of what they do 
Because we aren't going to be contaminated and neither are we judging one another because of who we mix with. Oh, you know, he went, he went to da 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 Well, you know, some of these horrible places we have to go. Otherwise, they're going to stay horrible. When we show up, we're going to change them. You know, we're the, we're the ones with the light on. And last time I noticed, when I turned the light on in my bedroom, darkness disappeared. I didn't have a fight in the middle of the room. We're in the light business. You're light. Jesus said, you are light. It didn't say you're going to become light. It didn't say one day you'll qualify as light. And if you work really hard, then you're light. You are the light of the world. That's your identity given, not achieved. So let's not get into, well, you know, what's he doing, doing that? No, let's not get into that. Well, he can't be very wise. Look, who, look, who, look at that fallen Christian that he helped. I've heard leaders do this. Well, that leader can't be very wise because that fallen Christian, he associated with him. Therefore, his discernment can't be up. Well, maybe he's just being like Jesus. I've, I've, thought, I've, I've heard this said. I've heard this said publicly. I thought, that leader, we've got to be careful by that movement because that leader is associating with this fallen Christian. And, you know, obviously that's not wise. And I'm like, well, if I wouldn't get to know Jesus on that basis. He's associated with all these dodgy people. If I am trying to be wise and not associate with people who associate with dodgy people, then don't talk to Jesus. He made a career out of talking to dodgy people, and I was one of them. (laughs) And so were you. And then we become Christian. We're like, well, they're all the dodgy ones, and we're okay now. Hang on a minute. What's going on here? Nothing controlled Jesus. Because he, he wasn't afraid of anything or anybody. He wasn't driven by people's opinions. Huh. And the other thing that I really want to say, notes are a wonderful thing if you keep to them. Jesus appears to be not afraid of anything at all, and particularly not sinners. You know, prostitutes washed his feet, and on and on and on. And he's really, really kind to people who sin really badly. Have you noticed that? So the woman caught in adultery, you know, I don't know, you know, churches we've been involved with, what, you know, someone's actually caught in the act of unfaithfulness is brought to him and they're already you know the law says she should be stoned and they're all around and there's a lot going on in that story I know but just 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 he just says let he who has no sin cast the first stone and they all disappear he's the only one who could do it and he just all he does is go well they don't condemn you neither do I go and sin no more caught red-handed a sinner sinning should be dealt with, disciplined. At least put out of the church if we don't stone her. He's like, he seems to be so chilled out about it. Stick some Pharisees in front of him and it's seven woes. <laughs> Woe to you Pharisees, you hypocrites, you blind guides. I'm like, what happened to kind Jesus? 
He's really, really like a bit, a bit too easy for me on sin. Do you know what I mean? His, his approach to sin and sinners is like, yeah, well, I'm not going to condemn you. Caught. Guilty. He actually is declaring her not guilty. The one who could actually says, I do not condemn. Condemn is to say, caught, guilty, you're in the nick. He says, caught, not guilty. And she goes, we don't know what she does, but she went away. I I can't imagine the look on her face. (laughs) Okay. But when it comes to legalists, when it comes to Pharisees, when it comes to religious types who are trying to bring judgment and law into people's lives, he is absolutely fearsome with them. And that's what's happening here with Paul. It's like, yeah, well, if we just see the grace in one another. You start bringing this not eating bacon into my environment, I'm going to face you up with it. And you're like, what's going on? So he's kind of kind with people who really do ugly sin and fierce with people who do law. And, and there's a time Jesus is in a boat with the disciples and he says to them, beware of the, the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're like, whoa, is this because we forgot to bring the bread? Because we've got no loaves in the, you know, they're completely. <laughs> the one thing, if you like, is nervous of is the leaven of the Pharisees. You know what leaven does? You have a whole lump of dough, you put a little bit of leaven and it makes the whole thing rise. You don't need a lot to affect the whole loaf. And he's like, do not let this stuff in your life, in your church, in your thinking, because it's going to affect everything you do and everybody you touch. It's horrible. And he's fierce with that. And he's gentle with the sinner. I'd just like to propose to you that for a long, too long the church has been fierce with the sinner and blind to the legalism. We're just happy for a little bit of leaven in the lump because we're not going to get too uptight about a few rules. But we catch you sleeping with someone and flipping egg, don't come to church for a bit. We're experts at judgment and making feel pe- people feel guilty. I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about... None of you are like that, I know. But in a bigger picture, when people think about church, they think, I don't want to go there because they're going to make me feel guilty. Well, Jesus does the complete opposite. Is this this making sense? And that's what Paul's doing. He's like, I'm not letting this in this house. This fear, this politics, this legalism. No, this is not the gospel. Peter, I don't care if you've raised the dead four million times. This isn't the gospel. Just more mercy on sin and sinners and less tolerance of laws and legalists. It's much more important to keep our culture free of legalism and judgmentalism than it is to be the sin police.
Mercy triumphed over judgment at the cross. Let's not reinstall judgment over mercy in the church. <laughs> a, year, a few years ago, we said, we're going to have a year of grace. People can come and we won't, whatever issues they're coming in this environment with, we're not going to challenge them over it. I think it's just become just grace. <laughs> you know, it's not like, because that sounds like we get a year of grace. After that, we're really on you. <laughs> no, it's grace. You see, the antidote to sin is not a law. If you suck, if you shut down grace in an environment because you allow law to come in, sin will increase. If you allow grace to pervade the environment, that is the antidote to sin. Over and over again, in different ways, Paul says law is, the, the application of rules or law is ineffective in the control of sin in your life. He says it later in Galatians, he says it in Romans. It's a lie that getting a new rule will make people better and make them behave. You can get some external conformity but rules never produce real inner change. And what you end up with is hypocrisy. You end up with people smiling on a Sunday morning and sinning the rest of the week because there's no freedom to deal with whatever they need to deal with. And that's not what we want to be. It's got to be okay to not be making it. It's got to be okay to not be making it for a long time. We want authentic connection, not performing in some sort of religious way so everybody knows, we're, thinks we're okay when we're not okay. <clears throat> Legalism drains the atmosphere of the grace we actually need to defeat sin. Yikes. <sighs> Just read one little bit and land. Hmm. Verse 19, through the law I died to the law that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. (laughs) The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. Wow. That is Paul's gospel in two verses. If you can get your head around that, you've got it. (laughs) Can I land it in three minutes? Here we go. I don't understand how it works, but when Jesus was crucified, so was I. I am so joined to him that his death was my death. So none of us here need another death to sin. All right? You don't need to put it to death. You don't need to have a, a die to sin moment because you had it on the cross with him. And, and literally, you, you can translate this, you're conjoined. You know like those people that are born, born joined to their twin? That's, you're conjoined with Jesus. So whatever he went through, you went through. You died with him. You rose with him. 
you're seated with him. Ha. It's such a, such a vital, strong union that he can't shake you off and doesn't want to, and you can't shake him off. Yeah? How exciting. And Paul, earlier in, this, in the letter, we skipped over it last week, but he actually said in chapter 1, he talks about how, how he... It's not what we think it is, he's going to say. He says, he revealed his son in me that I may preach him to the Gentiles. I would expect him to say he revealed his son to me. Yeah? He revealed Jesus to me. But what he says is he revealed his son in me. And then here again he says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live the life, but it's Christ who lives in me. All right, so you can know this in your head because I just told you, Christ lives in you. What happened with Paul is he had a revelation that Christ was in him and that was his springboard to be the evangelist that he was. He burns with this idea that Christ is in you and Christ is in him and we are in Christ. That Jesus is actually alive in him. And he lives his life because he, not even like, he's not living his life as though he were dead. He actually believes he's dead. He's not saying, it's as if I was crucified with Christ. He's saying, I, I died. What's alive in me is Jesus. I have a, you can't get this without an experience. Yeah? That's what I'm trying to say. And a supernatural experience that makes us know that we're indwelt by Jesus. And the life I now live, I live... And I think the translators in the NIV have got this wrong. A a, a lot of other versions say, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Here it sounds like we're doing the believing. I live by the faith I have in Him. Actually, what we live by is the faith He has in us and to us and through us. Jesus believes in you. And he actually believes that you believe in him. He has all the faith. And he's giving it to us. You know, I don't have much faith. You have all of his. Because it's not by your faith, it's by his faith. You can end up making a work out of faith. Like, I've got to get more faith, I've got to get more faith. Well, no. Just believe with the faith he's giving you. Isn't that great? I am dead. He lives inside of me. And it makes sense if he's alive inside of me that it's his faith I'm living by, not mine. From Paul's perspective, this makes absolute sense. And I just believe God's rewiring us to enjoy the fact Jesus is alive in us. And we have access. It's like my story and and Katie's story. Something started to happen on the inside of us where we really, we accessed his faith in these difficult circumstances. Internally, we leaned into Jesus and his faith started to flow and peace started to happen before the circumstance started to change.